Amen and amen. I'd invite you to grab your copy of God's Word if you have it with you today. Uh, the, the one in your lap or on your app, either one is fine. Let's turn together to James chapter 1. I'm very excited to start a brand new series today that we're calling Faith Forward. And what we're really talking about and thinking about together is what it looks like to live out the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. So we've placed our faith in Christ. We want to follow Him and live for Him. And the question naturally becomes, now what? What does that look like? How then shall we live? And what we're going to find in the book of James is a very clear direction and guide for how we're supposed to actually live this faith out. Uh, so we're going to be spending the, the next season of our study of God's Word here in the book of James. We'll probably uh, work through it for several weeks, take a break over the summer, and come back and finish this in the fall. So the next chunk of Scripture we'll be studying as a church family is this book. So you may want to spend some time with it in this season of your prayer time and Bible study as we uh, continue to walk through this week by week. And the question we're going to be asking ourselves over this first several weeks is really... The question of what drives you. What is it that motivates you in your life? If you haven't noticed, looking around in American culture, we live in an extremely motivated culture, right? Like everybody is driven and going after something, and this is really ingrained in us. From the time you walk into the elementary school hallways, right? What are you seeing? Massive posters that are going to say, hey, dream big and go out there and get it you can do it whatever you want to do go and be and from the time we're watching television shows even sporting events constantly the invitation is to put in the work make it happen and go be whoever you want to be achieve your version of success whatever that might be so the invitation of our modern culture is essentially to choose your own adventure Make a choice. Who do you want to be? How are you going to be? And go and make that happen, whatever it takes. Do you remember as a child, did you ever come across those choose-your-own-adventure books? Oh, man. If you, some of you are looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate. Uh, you need, even as an adult, you'd like that. Like, they're pretty awesome. I remember as like an eight- or nine-year-old, the library at my school had like a Batman book that was choose-your-own-adventure. Honestly, it has scarred me to this day because if you, well, basically, here's what you're doing. You're reading along in the story, and then it would say, if you want Batman to do this, turn to page 85. If you want Batman to make this choice, go to page 64. And I got to tell you, I still remember the bad endings. <laughs> and I, I know I need to talk about it with my therapist. It's fine. But, but if you've seen these books, this is how it works. Now, of course, the great thing about a choose-your-own-adventure book is if you don't like the ending, just go back and go to the other page, right? Like, that's the beautiful thing about a choose-your-own-adventure book. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. These exist. Uh, Google it and order you one. Again, as an adult, you would love this, all right? It's fun. But, but if you're like me, you can look around in your life and the life of people that you know and love, your, your family and your friends and neighbors, and we see the carnage of a ton of unwise choices. And we wish that, that we could go back and turn to a different page, but the reality is we can't. The question becomes on the front end, before we make these choices, how do we get wisdom to make the right choice? 
How is it that we find ourselves in a position to prayerfully make the decision that God would want us to do? And really what that gets at is what is propelling your life forward? What is it that's driving you and motivating you? And the question is, is that your faith in Christ? So over the next several weeks, we're going to be thinking about that as we look at this text. The Bible invites us to let our faith in Jesus drive us forward in our lives in a way that molds and shapes us into who it is he wants us to be. But I got to tell you, living faith forward is certainly an adventure. You are choosing an adventure if you choose to live faith forward. It requires courage. It requires boldness. But yes, brothers and sisters, it requires a great deal of wisdom. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes the wisdom-o-meter is a little bit short, right? But, but if that's you, good news, I've read ahead in the book of James, and in verse 5 it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously and ungrudgingly. So, so what we're doing in this series is basically coming to the Lord and saying, Help! Help! We, we don't know what it looks like to live our faith out. We're eager to do that, and we need the help that only you can give us. We have a God of wisdom who stands ready to help us live faith forward. So this is our new series. I'm excited to dig into this with you, and I want to warn you before we read this text, we're only going to look at one verse today, all right? So don't worry, the pace will pick up a little bit as we go, but today we're going to look at one verse. So would you read with me from the word of the Lord, James 1, 1, and then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help. Here's what the text says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Let's pray together. Lord, in this short text, I pray that you would make your truth clear to us, God, that as we think about the background of this letter, as we think about the people involved here, Lord, that we would be inspired by their faith, and Lord, we would really just set the table for what you're going to do in the days ahead as we study this book. Lord, we're so thankful for your word, and that every time we open it, however little or much we read, you stand ready to speak to us through your word. So God, give us ears to hear hearts that are ready to receive, and hands and feet that are ready to walk out the truth you have for us today. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, again, don't panic if you're a guest with us today. I know we have a lot of guests in this season. We generally do more than one verse a day, all right? Uh, some of you are like, it's that kind of church, and that's all right uh, to dive in that way. Uh, but as I studied uh, this week, the Lord really would not let me get away from a couple of big truths that we find right here in this text. I, in fact, my original plan was to go all the way through verse 4. As Pastor Brad mentioned, we were going to talk about trials today, and, and I am ready to roll and ready to preach on that. But the Lord, as I studied verse Verse 1 just reminded me and showed me a couple of truths that, that I think we need to just settle in for a minute and, and think about as the people of God. And also establishing some background for this book is going to really help us over the next several months as we walk through this together. Uh, so I want us to focus today on who and who. Who and who. More specifically, the writer and the recipients. So, so who wrote this and who was he writing it to? And in answering these questions, we're going to find a couple of powerful truths that I want us to consider this morning. So first, let's talk about the writer. The writer identifies himself here as James. And we have no reason to question the historical view that this was indeed James, the brother of Jesus. 
I mentioned to you last week that James really has a wild story. Now, that might be an understatement when you consider that he was indeed the brother of Jesus Christ, right? Like, uh, yeah, duh, yeah, he has a pretty crazy story. But, but what you need to know, and we mentioned last week, is that James, the brother of Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. In fact, he just thought that Jesus was the eccentric, weird, older brother, we see even in the Gospels multiple accounts of Jesus' family, which probably included James, showing up and saying, this is enough, man, like, come on. In fact, I was reading in the, I think it's the Gospel of John this week that talks about where uh, they, they basically almost uh, provoking him, say, hey, if you're really the Savior, why don't you go on down to Jerusalem and tell everybody? And he says, my time's not yet come. And then they say, all right, come home with us. Like, they really saw that this was not going to end well for Jesus, and they had familial concern for him. Yet what they didn't understand is that even though they were right, this wasn't going to end well. This was actually part of God's plan, and it actually ended really well with the resurrection of Christ. And that resurrection, friends, changed James's life forever. He goes from being a skeptic to a believer, from an annoyed little brother to a powerful witness for his older brother, Jesus Christ. James isn't the only brother of Christ. We also have a short book in our Bibles by Jude, right before Revelation. We believe he also was a brother of Christ. I, I want to just press in on this apologetic for a minute. So we've got two guys, James and Jude, who honestly would have been the ones on 60 Minutes Jerusalem talking about how their crazy eccentric brother was not really the Christ. We lived with them. Of all people, we would be the ones who know. So listen to us. That's who these guys were. Yet because of the resurrection of Christ, we see these two brothers powerfully proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is alive and that all of our lives ought to be wrapped around our faith. I read an interesting quote from Chuck Colson, who you might remember being involved in the, the Watergate scandal. So Colson was one of the men who was indicted, and as he awaited arrest, one of his friends gave him a copy of the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And upon reading that book and then going to the Bible and hearing the gospel, Chuck Colson gave his life to Christ. And after his uh, sentencing, and he actually did go to prison through that time, God really stirred in his heart to begin a ministry called Prison Fellowship that today is one of the foremost prison ministries in our country that does incredible things for people in prison and the families of those people in prison. Chuck Colson is a prominent evangelical figure that some of you have probably heard of before, but I want you to hear what Colson said about the resurrection. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Well, you can add the name of James and Jude to the number of those 12 apostles who were absolutely changed by the power of the resurrection, by the fact that Jesus got up out of that grave. Skeptics turned to believers. When the dead comes to life, the spiritually dead find new life. 
That's what happened to James. We see in the book of Acts that James is a prominent figure in the early church. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and passionately leads that church and he is doing incredible work. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, we see that James was involved in the the Jerusalem council where they had some issues early in the church. Did you know even the early church had issues? All right. So if your church has issues, you're in good company. It's been that way from the beginning. All right. Uh, So in the midst of these issues, James gathers all the leaders, and James is almost the ringleader in that text. He's the one talking and leading this group. So James is a prominent figure. His passion for Jesus and for his gospel ends up ultimately leading to his death. Church history tells us that the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, had enough of James, so they took him to the pinnacle of the temple. You remember Satan took uh, Jesus up there at one point. So the Pharisees take James to the pinnacle of the temple, and tradition tells us they threw him off the roof. He somehow survived the fall, so then they beat him to death with a club when they got to him on the ground. So James goes from a skeptic who did not believe in his own brother to literally dying for his faith because he is so utterly convinced that the same Jesus that rose from the dead will resurrect him one day. So this James, friends, is a hero of the faith. There is no doubt. Absolutely compelling story. A leader among leaders in the early church and in this movement that was Christianity. But this is why it's so interesting to me to note how James chooses to identify himself. Verse 1 simply says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James could have easily called himself James the Just, as he was known by some. He could have said, hey, I'm James from Jerusalem, you know, the megachurch that meets there in Jerusalem, pastor. (laughs) And perhaps the big trump card, the brother of Christ Jesus. Do you think that makes people lean in and listen a little bit to this letter? James doesn't identify himself in any of those ways. He just says, I am a servant of God. Oh, friends, I think there's a truth here that we need to consider this morning. We live in a culture that is absolutely obsessed with identity. Who are you is what the world asks us. It's what the culture asks of us today. And we're all trying to be something or somebody. And this confusion has really led our culture to a really messed up place. By and large, our culture has chosen sex and gender as a place to find identity. Our culture today says if you want to try your, and find your true self, then your true self is found in the way that you choose to express yourself sexually. Now, you need to understand that that is totally foreign to historical philosophy, secular or religion. Like, this is something that has really come up in the last 50 years or so that our culture has just flocked to. Now, this message is not about the danger of the sexual revolution. We've talked about that before. But, but here's the thing. Before the sexual revolution was the sexual revolution, people have been trying to build their identity around themselves for all of human history. Of course, some of the ways that people tried to build their identi- identity around themselves may have been more morally, culturally, and socially acceptable, religiously acceptable even. But the fact is, these are really all symptoms of the age-old problem that you and I have this habit of trying to build our identity and build our lives around us and who we want to be and who we think we should be. We try to build a world and create a life that revolves around us. 
I think you see that happening in our world today. If I wrote this letter, certainly I would have said, Rusty, the lead pastor at Crossroad Church in Wichita, Kansas, writing you this letter. We're a culture, honestly, that is quite obsessed with titles. And let's just be honest for a minute. Perhaps the worst title you could be given in our culture today would be the title of servant. You just look at the modern workplace and how ridiculous we've gotten with titles. Nobody wants to be worker or employee. We've all got titles now, right? The assistant regional developmental strategist coordinator. <laughs> hey, I love you guys, but I ask what you do sometimes, and you tell me, and I'm like, okay, so what, what's your actual job? <laughs> We're not one to talk. We used to have a position here called the senior associate pastor. Not the senior pastor, but the senior associate, right? It's like, I don't, I don't really know what we're doing, right? Got the regional assistant regional manager and the assistant to the regional manager, right? Like, it's wild. It's crazy how we've gotten. This is a symptom of our self-obsessed culture. And that's fine. I, send me your email. It's going to have a tag at the bottom of your title, and I'll appreciate that, right? I'm glad you have that title. But James suggests another way, friends, and I would argue today that this is the Jesus way. Rather than trying to build an identity around you, around our own lives, Christians are called and have chosen to lose their identity for the sake of knowing Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, just a key passage about what it means to be a disciple. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. So Jesus says, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, step one, deny yourself. If this was written in 2023, it would have had to say, identify yourself. Decide who you are, and then maybe Jesus will help you figure that out. No, no, no. The biblical picture is deny yourself. Recognize it's not about you. I, I no longer use earthly accolades, self-expression, and personal achievement to define my life. Instead, my Savior has taken over my identity. Galatians 3.28, Paul writes, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Since your identity is to be found in Christ and Christ alone. And while, let's just be real, I think we know that, we even like that verse, we'll share that on Facebook later today, the reality is it's hard to actually live like we believe this. We're not the only ones who struggle with this. In fact, a chapter earlier in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 2, there's this story where Peter was in Antioch doing ministry and tons of Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ and also tons of Jewish people were coming to faith in Christ. And there was a sweet ministry happening in that new church in Antioch and Peter is fellowshipping with them all. And then just in a little uh, connection, it says some people from James's church in Jerusalem come to Antioch. So some Jewish believers come to Antioch and guess what Peter starts doing? Oh yeah, those guys, I kind of know them, but I'm eating lunch with y'all today. 
He starts hanging out with the Jewish believers and he doesn't want to associate with the Gentile believers. Why? Because that would look bad to the Jewish believers. So we see uh, Peter practicing partiality and really honestly practicing racism. And Paul, it says in Galatians 2, opposed him to his face. He said, what are you doing, man? Like you can't do this because your identity is not in your ethnicity or your religious background. Your identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. And then this is where we get the powerful memory verse that many of you know, but may not know it comes in the context of that story I just shared with you. Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, our identity is found in nothing else other than being known by God and serving him. But if the apostles struggled with this, bad news, you and I are going to struggle. But, but hear me, church, struggle we must. Don't be content with it. That's my favorite thing Christians do. Well, everyone struggles with that, so it's okay just to lean into it. No, 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 no. We're called to make war against our sin. I love Luke 9, 23. I quoted earlier. You know why I like it? Because Jesus says, take up your cross daily. We, we've said this before, but Luke wasn't trying to get an essay in with the right amount of words and just trying to add extra words in there. It's a 500-word essay. I've got to find one more. Take up your cross daily. No, that word is intentional. Carried along by the Holy Spirit, Luke is writing what the Lord Jesus said. Taking up your cross is not a one-time transaction that happens on Easter or at youth camp when you were a kid, but taking up your cross is a daily activity where you get up and say, my life is not my own. I have been crucified with Christ. I am going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what my life is to be all about. We've got to die to ourselves every day we need to remember friends that our identity is simply being a servant of the lord jesus christ can you say that today nothing more and nothing less james knew something that i think you and i need to know today it's not about who i am but whose i am it's not about who I am, but whose I am. And I pray that today you and I would just joyfully abandon our worldly identities for the sake of identifying as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there's some freedom that comes with this, guys. Because how are you doing in this search for identity? And I, I, can I just be vulnerable with you a little bit this morning? Can I, as a pastor... Oh, it felt good to have 733 people here last week. You know what I told Mallory, though, yesterday? We're going to have like 300 less people at church probably this week. And it's reality, right? Every pastor deals with this. And it's easy to be in a season of growth. God's bringing people, and we're so glad you're here. God's bringing people to our church, and something's happening here, and it's exciting. And if I'm not careful, I do become Pastor Rusty pastor at crossroad church in my life because but ultimately what i have to remind myself every day die to that i'm a servant of god and of the lord jesus christ so i don't know what that is for you today maybe you're trying to find your identity in your work it's a common thing that's what i do 
Maybe you're trying to find out your identity in your kids. That's dangerous, and you're going to mess your kids up. Sorry, you're going to have to pay for their therapy later. And maybe you're trying to find your identity in your service, maybe even in our church, in your service and work here in our church. I don't know where it is, but friends, we've got to be willing to lay our identity down and just say, I'm a servant of King Jesus. Oh, but man, can I tell you, the servants of King Jesus have a good life. The fruit of the Spirit, constantly available, joy, peace, hope. Man, don't you want that? Talk about faith forward. Man, I want to live my faith in such a way that I receive the blessings of God that cannot be taken away by the world. Yet so many of us are brokenhearted, burdened, and bothered today because we're seeking identities that will not satisfy when you get there. Even when you make it to whatever you think you're trying to make it to, you will be dissatisfied. Oh, but joy and completeness is found in saying my identity is not found in any of those things, but it's in Christ. Oh, I pray that you would know whose you are today. So this is the writer, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, in our last few moments together, let's turn our attention to the recipients. Verse 1 says that this letter was written to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Now, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel is who this is referring to, God's people, the Jewish people. You need to know uh, that they were broken into 12 tribes, the, the sons of Jacob, who was later named Israel by God. These are the 12 tribes and the 12 sons. So these are 12 tribes that really by this point, because of their disobedience to the Lord and because of exile and all the different things that had happened and persecution, the, the people of God are really already dispersed and scattered by the time we even get to the time of Christ. But you need to know that this idea of dispersion is not just talking about that. It probably alludes to that. But this dispersion is what we find in the biblical text in Acts chapter 8. So God is doing incredible things. A movement of God has started in the book of Acts. Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes and we have thousands upon thousands of people being saved and giving their lives to Christ. And when a big movement of God happens, can I tell you, the world around starts to take notice. So the religious leaders of this day and the political leaders of this day were very concerned. And their concern led to them trying to squash this movement and they did this through persecution. So they are attacking Christians, literally even murdering Christ followers. And we find in Acts chapter 8, after the stoning of Stephen, uh, the authorities are pushing strong with a dude named Saul who would later become the apostle Paul. That all takes place in Acts chapter 8. But in the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 8, I want to read you what happens. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says this, On that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, where James is the pastor. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So what you need to know in verse 1 of Acts chapter 8 is that they are scattered through Judea and Samaria. What we know as you continue to read the book of Acts is that persecution continued to spread and believers are spread all across the known world at this time. Perhaps one day we'll see this type of persecution in our country. I pray that we would not. But the truth is right now, you and I cannot even begin to fathom what these people were experiencing. Imagine having to pick up everything, their careers, their families, 
their homes. Most people in this time lived within a few miles and their entire life happened within a few miles of their home. And these people are having to pick up and literally go into the unknown because of their faith for Christ. Running for their very lives. Can you imagine, friends? But incredible things actually happening. God was fulfilling his purposes in the midst of the dispersion. This is a theme that we'll pick up on next week. In the midst of hardship, God is still at work. And as these people are dispersed around the known world, guess what happened? They take the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So now this centralized but massive growing movement in Jerusalem is becoming decentralized and sent all over the world and they're taking Jesus with them and now Jesus and his gospel is going to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission is being fulfilled. In fact, some scholars suggest that the people have gotten pretty comfortable living within that small radius of their lives. Kind of like me when I have to go to an appointment on the east side like lord give me strength right we get pretty comfortable my car goes really easily from from here to my house half a mile down the road to dylan's if i need to like we we got a comfortable chick-fil-a's in there let's be honest right so we just, you know like we get comfortable and in their comfort that the lord maybe let discomfort drive the gospel well we'll talk about that some more next week but could it be that your discomfort in this season is getting you where god wants you to be for the sake of the gospel of jesus christ i want to encourage you today friends so we've already said it's not who you are but whose you are and i want to just link these ideas by saying this it's not where you are it's whose you are. So, so we said it's not who you are, it's whose you are, and it's also not where you are, but it's whose you are. We said that our culture is obsessed with identity and status, but, but here's something else we need to see, and I, I think you will understand this today. Our culture is also obsessed with position. Where are you? And question number two is where are you going? I remember one of the scariest times in my life was when I was a junior and senior in high school. Some of you may remember this. Some of you may be in this season now, or you're a young adult still trying to figure this out. But people would ask you when you're like 16 years old, so what are you going to do when you grow up? <laughs> hey, bud, what are you doing with the rest of your life? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And I, was one of the, I, I didn't really even know where I was going to go to college until April of my senior year. So a lot of other people had answers. I'm going to the University of Texas. Oh, I'd never go there. I'm going to the A&M. And nobody went to Oklahoma because, you know, they, a lot of Christians there. So, where's Keaton? He's not even in here to hear that. So, it's fine. Keaton's going to be under church discipline for wearing his Oklahoma shirt earlier. So, it's wherever you're at, brother. Wherever you're at. There you go. All right. Jesus, just be with our brother. Bless him. So, I had a lot of friends that knew exactly where they were going, but I didn't. And here's the weird thing. Like, honestly, if you would ask me when I was 17 and 18, write down the list of things you're sure are going to happen later in your life. They haven't happened either. So there's this pressure of where are you going to go? Who are you going to be? What's this going to look like in your life? Our culture tends to obsess and focus on location and position, but the invitation of Scripture, friends, is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go and whatever is happening in your life. So you may be in a season that you never expected, 
in a position you never expected you would be in. Can I tell you, the Lord has put you there for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you're that young adult trying to figure it out right now. I mean, what is my life going to be about? What's it going to look like? Can I tell you, the Lord right now in this season has given you a freedom that you may never have again. You have a freedom to, to do and go whatever it is that the Lord puts on your heart to, to do. And it's an amazing season that you're in. And I want to encourage you, live for the sake of the gospel in that position. And maybe the, the Lord would bring you a helpmate, a husband or a wife. And then you're in that season where, where you are married. And now the Lord has yoked you together with somebody for the sake of the gospel. And you have a, a couple now that God wants to use in a miraculous way for His glory. And there's an incredible thing that God can do when they're two together striving for the sake of the gospel in unique ways in that season. And perhaps one day the Lord would give you children. And then all of a sudden, you've got a mission field in your own house. For the sake of the gospel, you're called to be raising kingdom kids that we can then send like arrows out into a culture that desperately needs kingdom living to be lived out in front of them. And I'm not near to this phase, but I've got friends who have testified of those empty nest years when now the kids have been sent out into the world. And there's a newfound freedom in a sense where the Lord is kind of using that season to give them new direction and new vision to live out their lives. Some of you in here have retired in, in recent seasons. And again, God's given you a fresh opportunity to think about how you're using your position for the sake of the gospel. And man, let's just take it all the way there. Haven't we known in our church family even brothers and sisters who have been about to go home to glory, who have leveraged and stewarded that situation in their lives while they were still here for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, I don't care what position you find yourselves in today. You may think life looks radically different than you ever expected it to look before, but I want to argue that today, right where you find yourself, God has placed you there for the sake of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking about life position. Every stage and every step of life certainly comes with opportunities to be on mission for Jesus, but you are not limited by your position, your status, or your location. Whether you're at a dead-end job or you're the CEO, whether you're the boss or an entry-level employee, whether you work in a white-collar or a blue-collar job, you need to know your position doesn't change the mission. Your position doesn't change the mission. It's not where you are, it's whose you are. You see, it's our identity in Christ that drives us to our mission. And this is the danger, friends. When you find your identity in something else, your mission is altered in a dangerous and devious way. If your mission is being successful at work, that's what your life's all about. How you identify today changes the mission. But the invitation of this scripture today is to be like James. To say, I identify as a servant of King Jesus. So whenever, wherever, whatever, it's all about him. I am just his servant and I'm seeking to fulfill the mission that he has called me to. Friends, isn't this an important word for us today? 
let's just be real today. We, we're a culture of control freaks. Again, we're raised in a world that has said, hey, go out there and figure it out. And, and I'm not here to be Matt Foley motivational speaker for you today. But I'm here to tell you as you go out there, right? like, I'm not here to try to tell you that it ain't going to happen and that your life's going to be. No. But, but here's what we just got to be honest with each other today. Most of the time in our lives, we do not get to choose our own adventure. Most of us are sitting in a place today that we never expected to be, in a life position that we never thought we would encounter. If you could talk to 16-year-old you, your life looks way different than you expected it to look. This morning, I want to tell you that one choice can change everything in your life. The invitation is to choose this day who you will serve. And the promise of Scripture is that if we follow the Lord on this adventure we call life, we can live as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know where we're going to go. We may be dispersed to places we never expected to be and never expected to go. But wherever we go, we can take his message of love and hope and truth with us. So here you are. Of all the places you could be, you're sitting at Crossroad Church this morning. Like honestly, I was thinking about this yesterday. I've been here almost five years now, and the process of the Lord bringing me here was very, very quick. So here's what I'll tell you. Like, I'm almost five years in here, but if you went five years back today and were to tell me in Southeast Texas, hey, man, in five years, you're going to be preaching a message about uh, where you're at being used by the Lord, and you're going to be in Wichita, Kansas, talking to a big group of people. I would have been like, you are crazy. (laughs) That's not my adventure. Thank you for that opportunity, but that's not my adventure. Oh, but friends, the Lord led me here. And here's where, let's just be honest. The fact that you're here, some of you are thinking, well, I've been here from the very beginning. That wasn't that long ago. 21 years ago, this church didn't even exist. Yet here we are together for such a time as this. The Lord has brought us from literally all over the country, all over the city, all kinds of different backgrounds. And he's called us together for such a time as this. So I'll just end the message the way that James ended verse 1. Greetings. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. And I'm excited to see what the Lord will do with a group of servants who say, wherever, whatever, whenever, we belong to you. This church identifies as a church of Jesus Christ, as servants of God who are ready to get our hands dirty doing whatever it is you want us to do for your kingdom's sake. So let's be that people. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this message. Thank you, God, even in such a short passage of scripture, you have such relevant truths for us to consider. God, I thank you for the example of James who really is following your example. And in Philippians 2, in your word, says that even though Jesus was the Son of God, he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped. 
But instead, he emptied himself. He was fully God and fully man, but he humbled himself and came and took the form of man so that we could have a relationship with you. So the call for us is to humble ourselves and not find our identity in the things of the world and the things of ourselves, but instead to find our identity in submitting to you and who you want us to be. Oh, so Lord, I pray that this room would be a room full of people who today say, I want to be your servant, Lord. And God, we know that saying yes to you does open up an adventure. (laughs) We don't know what this is going to look like in, in five days, five months, five years. But Lord, we do know that if we follow you and stay close to you, that we're going to be right in the position you want us to be. It's not who we are, it's whose we are. It's not where we are, it's whose we are. So God, may we be found in you. So we just come to the cross today bringing all that we are, knowing that you stand ready to use us as we serve you.